about the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And you see, there is that one thing so often that crafts us on that arrowhead and we think, yes, nailed it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can feel, yeah, I made a good choice there. That happened. And we take that cliche, the best is yet to come. We think, oh, cliche. But I really do sincerely believe that God wants to craft your life so that you have that devotion, that devoted one thing, and you can begin to believe there is one thing that can come forth, that one thing that we can begin to dream for. And I felt that God wanted me to come to Exeter and to you at Riverside. For those that were with me yesterday, you know I've been a bit of a southwest journey. I actually came down to this area last Saturday night, Sunday. I was at Oakhampton in Inspiration Church. I then went up to Barnstable on Monday and was with the North Devon House of Prayer and with all their interns teaching them in prayer. Tuesday, I went to Red Roof and then I went to Land's End or Land's Beginning. I believe that God says that's not the end, it's the beginning. And he's doing a new thing across the southwest at this time. And that is, you are not the limp leg of England that just hangs there with nothing to do, but he's put you on stance and he's saying, get ready to kickstart a whole new movement of Jesus in the rural communities across England. This is a new day. There is one thing that you need to do. So we went to Land's End, to Land's Beginning, and just as we got there, there was this poster they were putting up, time to discover the one thing. Come on, time to discover the one thing. And you see God saying, wake up, shake some of your paradigms. There, this is a new day. Then from land's end, land's beginning, we went to Truro with, uh, um, uh, what were they called? Worshipping friends. And we, helped, we were part of 196 hours of worship. And we helped them for the four-hour shift from 96 hours to 100 as we just began to declare Jesus. And the vibrancy of young people and people in this place on a Tuesday afternoon for four hours, I just thought something is stirring in the ground. There's a cry, come on more Jesus, not satisfied. Then we went back up to Barnstable, then I went to Ulfracombe, then I went to Lee Abbey, then I went back to Barnstable Area Leaders Day where we had over 80 leaders from all over. And then yes, Friday night, rediscover for a holy assembly yesterday all day with you helping you find your ability to speak like Jesus is speaking at this time today with you so yes I believe and I perfectly set and deliberately intentionally set the beginning of the 2020 decade here in the southwest why because I believe it's time to begin to dream so I believe the beginning of a new year is always a review and a renewed time. And I want to go to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. It's a scripture that we often use. And come on, let's show me how much coffee you've already drunk today. One, two, three. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See... I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
You know, even that is maybe enough to write over this year. Because we're not only stepping into a new year, we're stepping into a new decade. And I love it that it's called 2020. When you're a prophetic person, you're into eyes and ears, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're speaking. And it's not rocket science, 2020 vision. Come on, let's see right. And I believe if we see right, we're going to get to the right place because it's a new decade, a new time, and so we need to see right. So it's a time to review, but forget. In this scripture, forget. I'm literally going to look at this scripture. Forget the former things. Do not dwell. That word to dwell is to make it your residence, to make it your habitation, the place where you live. Come on, don't live in your history. Live for your tomorrow. Don't let your past define you. You see, I feel that Jesus wants us to be courageous. And he would say to us, don't let your yesterday define your tomorrow. Rather, let a fresh vision and new dreams begin to inspire you for your future. Take off all your shame. Take off all the regret. Aaron already alluded to it, you know. Oh, well, I've already messed up. What's the point? I tried to do it. I'm up to 14. I should be 24. I'm a failure. No, take off shame, take off regret. Every day is a new day. Your best is yet to come. There is one thing. Come on, it's a day to not let yesterday define us, but actually the call and the future of God um, encourage, inspire us. It is a time to review, but forget. I think 2019 was a very difficult year for many people. How many would say you did not like 2019? Hands up high. And please look around because then you realize it was not personal. You think, why is God being mean to me? And then you suddenly think, actually, there was something about 2019 which was a challenging year. My hand is up too. I think 2019 since we also talked about babies being born, 909, it was a transitional year. We were ending a decade transitioning, and anyone who's given birth to babies and anyone who's watched someone giving birth to babies knows when it's transition, if you're the husband, you should keep well away because you might get your hands pinched, your neck broken, or if you're in the wrong position, something is definitely going to go fairly severe right now. If you're the girl, you're thinking, oh, Jesus, this is why I'm not doing this again. It hurts. It's awkward. It's messy. It's the bit which for me, I was like, can't we fast forward right now? Transition is never nice. And I believe 2019 was a transitional year of preparation. God was setting you up for the new thing. The best is yet to come. God was actually helping you. If you remember last year, I spoke about the omega. Bang, goes shut to the alpha. Something has to close to open. And actually that transition between shut doors to open doors is always uncomfortable. Hello. And so that was 2019. So we need to review but forget. Don't let the cautions, pain of that, then limit you for what you have in front of you. The second thing I want to say is I felt God say he wants you 
to forget, but review and glean from the past of your life. Review the fitness of your life. Review the fitness of your life. Do not dwell on the past, but do learn from it. Do learn from it. And what you can learn, take forward into your new season to give you a momentum and a continuum. So I want to ask you a very simple question, which is a homework question. It's a husband, wife, friendship, students, you know, connect group question. When did you feel, when in your life, not just 2019, but when in your life did you feel the most fit? When did you feel fittest? You can interpret it how you like. You know, when was those abs just, you know... When did you feel the most fit? It is about body. When, did you, when was your mental health the best? When did you feel emotionally that you were strong? You could catch some hits and you didn't react poorly. You actually could, could go through. Body, soul, mind, intellectually. When were you sharp or able to think clearly? Life, well-being of life. When did you feel the most fit? Why am I asking you to review that? Because you see, I felt God saying he wanted to challenge us to get fit for purpose. And you see, when we look back, we can look at the things that increase us and decrease us. The things that upgrade us and the things that limit us, contain us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In, we are part of the Hillsong Church in Oxford. And it was interesting, in the um, September time, we had 21 days, which we called 21 days of devotion. And during that time, we made the one thing of Jesus. We wrote a devotion manual where we all got up and we were reading similar things together. And then we all made the decision to give up one thing to show our devotion. So we fasted in different ways, meals, food, all sorts of things. When we began to talk and just talk to people, I, so many people said, actually, that giving up sharpened something in me and using my language, I felt fit. There was something that came fit for purpose as I devoted and spearheaded my life by praying and fasting. What rhythms of life actually spearhead you? I was chatting with Aaron yesterday of some of the research about reading the Bible. If you read it once a week, it's good. But it doesn't have massive influence. Twice a week, marginal, three times a week, begins to see some effect of the fitness of your well-being of life. Four times a week, suddenly, you are upgrading the fitness of your life, body, soul, mind, spirit, being, from a research point of view. Come on, is that worth it? Well-being of life, fit for purpose. Do we need to make some intentional choices? Come on, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. That see is that cognitive processing of being into intelligent, intellectual beings. Okay, let's see what works, what doesn't work, what I give life to, what I don't. So I want to ask you some questions. What friendships, relationships do you need to invest in further for an upgrade in your life? Which ones maybe need to go? Which coffee times always make you come away buzzing? Which times when you go out for a pint and you come away and you suddenly think, yeah, it made me think I'm going to do that. Other times you come in and think, oh, well, she does moan. 
or I just feel a bit overwhelmed. Come on, we all know those things of life. What is upgrading? What relationships make you fit? What activities do you need to do more? I shared yesterday that Gordon and I have lost our chocolate Labrador, which you know I've heard preach. He went to be with Jesus, and please let me have that moment. <laughs> After 15 years of being my precious, our precious dog. But one of the things that happened this year is Dibley could no longer really walk, and it took us half an hour to walk him two feet because he was really arthritic and slow. So one of the things I lost was my half hour running over my fields because I'd killed him. And so when I began to do this, because I'm really letting you into my devotion, my New Year's devotion this morning. When I began to do this, I thought, I need to get back running. That half hour running was such a clear head space. It's like everything just came centric for me. There are certain things that you need to actively make a choice for because the best is yet to come but you need to set yourself up for the best what activity do you need to do what financial decisions do you need to make you know there's some nike moments here just do it what rhythms of spiritual life do you need to invest in fasting prayer time reading retreat what rhythm of life you see we need to review the fitness of your life and god says i will do a new thing. The end of that verse, verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs out. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And you've probably already heard me, but I want to emphasize it. Guess what? New means new. New means we really don't know what it looks like and we've got to let go and let something grow. New means new. We are coming into a new year. We are coming into a new decade. We are having to reform things and new means new. But often when we sense there's a new thing, we tend to go back to the old and think, oh, this will work. How many of you know, especially for those of us that are older, I confess, I'm going to be 60 this year. We'll be married 40 years. My dad will go 90. And then beginning of next year, Gordon goes 70. So it's a real decade, 60, 40, 90. So new means new. And everyone says, oh, it's a new 60 means you're that. Well, no, what is 60 plus? What's this decade to look like for me? What do I need? New means new. And I don't care what age you are, we're all sentimental. And we all try to take from yesterday and craft it in and cog things. But I really feel God saying, come on, forget the former things. Don't live, dwell, have your mental capacity in that old thing. Your dwelling, reference point, connection point in the old. See, wake up, it is new. And new means new. <laughs> now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You see, it's new boundaries, new definitions, new risks, new courage. Globally, how many of you, as you look around the world, how many of you know new means new? Something's springing up. We look at Australia with those terrible fires, and they're saying, this is totally new, unprecedented. Look at Indonesia and all the flooding that's happening there, totally new, never seen this. Look at 
us in, what is it, 20 days. Brexit is happening. It is going to be new. We are going to be out of Europe. We look at America, Iran, the Middle East, what's going on. There's lots of opportunities for very new. But God has got a greater story above it all. He said, see, I am doing a new thing. Hello, it's not our politicians. It's not our climate change. Can I just say something? God is the author of climate change. I have absolute confidence that God is the God of climate change. God can shut up the heavens. God can open the heavens. God can withhold rain. God can give rain. And actually, in the stories of the Bible, the prophets will often shut the heavens, open the prophets. Maybe there's a prophetic prayer and a dimension for the church in this whole thing of climate change that we've never even thought of. In the beginning of Genesis, God says, come on, I'm putting you in the garden called this world, and I'm giving you stewardship and custodianship to actually decree... This is a speaking decade. Are we going to begin to speak and begin to orchestrate? I don't know. But new means there is the whole global thing. There's the personal thing. Because, you see, it is the lives of ordinary people constructed together to build the house of Jesus that actually then begins to direct nations. And so if we don't become new, the church isn't going to become new. The Southwest isn't going to become new. Do you get what I'm saying? New means new. I believe there are shiftings, changings, altering, and we feel that. New means new. God said this to me. He said, in the haze and the fog of all the confusion going on around you, can you see the new? And I think that, you know, often when it feels a bit co complex, when you come out of a year like 2019, you lose some of your confidence. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But I just felt God wanted to say to me, be strong. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Don't react from alarm. Stand strong. Hear the word of the Lord. He will direct your steps. He said, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? And that's one of those challenging, irritating questions of God. Because you think, no, God, if I did, it would be, life would be so much easier. But he's, it's also the challenge of, come on, we can do this together. Come on, can't you see it? Come on, I want to heighten your interest, your intrigue. Can't you see I'm doing a new thing? Can you not perceive it? You see, we're going to sense it. There's going to be an intuition of our spirit. I often call it the sniffing anointing. You know, it's like you can smell it, you can sense it, but you can't quite articulate it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so I believe God wants to heighten that sense of expectation, heighten that sense of dreaming, heighten that sense of, yeah, I do sense something, but I'm not quite sure. Sense it. Can you not perceive it? God spoke to me, and I know... You might have heard me say this last year. He said that this decade, the 2020s decade, will be a landmark decade. And it will be a mark-out decade for the 21st century, just as the 1960s were the landmark decade for the 20th century. He said this 
decade we have in front of us is a decade of opportunity. It is a tipping point decade which will either swing the nations one way or the other and the pivot point is an opportunity for the church. How many of you believe that? I believe for social, um, social structure, for economic structure, political structures, literally how many of you can feel the pivot point? And I believe that God is giving the opportunity to the church. I haven't got time to tell you, but there are so many stories of God setting up people to do extraordinary things. Right in London, right in the mass of the banking, wealth management thing, God is just raising up, and I can't give too much detail, but God is raising up a whole philanthropic movement at high levels of banking to really reform the whole way that we do banking. God is doing something. The whole thing of CSR, corporate social responsibility, if you know that thing, CSR. Actually, that is being impregnated into the whole business management movement, looking how business and churches, charitable movements, can work together for the better good of nations and communities. There's all sorts of things that are just at this level. Don't be cynical and skeptical, but begin to put your best foot forward. The best is yet to come. And the church needs to be a voice that spearheads rather than there's lemon juice and just pours bitterness and cynicism. I really believe God, we have the privilege of living in Oxford. I tell you, in the legal system, I can just see things coming. So many different things being decreed and formed in embryonic forms. And I believe if we are to get behind it and behold, I do a new thing. Can't you see it? It's a time for great expectation. You see, God's asking you, can you see outside the box? Can you perceive it? Can you sense it? Can you be intuitive about it? You see, I believe it is a time to kickstart this 2020. I already told you that prophetic word, that God literally wants to take the floppy leg of England, put a stance and then kickstart. I believe that there is something in the ground of the southwest, Devon and Cornwall, and Exeter has always been the voice piece of it, you study your history. You have been a pioneering place. Exeter, for who it is and where it's situated, has been a city of firsts again and again and again. Isn't that true? You've been first in scientific development and re um, research. There's medical things that have started here and been picked up and then you. Politically, for better or for worse, there have been voices that have come. And I have felt that as I prayed, and it's a mandate I want to give to you here at Riverside in Exeter, I believe that there is an entrepreneurial wisdom that God wants to construct out of the Southwest. And Exeter is going to be part of it, which is going to rewrite the way we do rural community, the way that urban and rural works together. I believe that God cares about towns, villages, and cities. And I believe in our nation, we need to re craft the way that we serve the smaller communities. Coastlands and rural have their own definition and we need some entrepreneurial thinking to break the curse and bring a blessing. And I believe the church needs to spearhead the way. I believe as a movement of Assembly of God and of churches across this area, set a new way. See, I will do a new thing. 
And Father, I want to pray that you begin to awaken across the farming, coastal, and church communities a whole way of thinking of rural life and urban life and that movement together to make Jesus look good. I pray rural won't be a place of deprivation. The southwest and the rural northwest and northeast of England won't be the deprived places, but they will be the catalyst places of a whole new movement of Jesus. Come on, we've got to reform some things. We've got to look at Sunday school and all this stuff. I'm talking the more classical, traditional. I believe there's whole new ways of meeting the next generation. There's whole new ways of investing for rural and coastline communities. And you have the opportunity to not complain and moan about it, but to set a new way for the glory of God. I want to ask you, can you dream again? Can you dream again? Or when you hear the best is yet to come, does the cynicism say, oh yeah. God would say to you, think big or you'll limit me. Think big or you'll limit me. And God wants and has sent me to stir up your dream capacity. You know, don't just have one dream for the year, have a hundred. I challenge you, Begin to, just on your phone, write down every dream. And don't make them so spiritual that you kill yourself. Have the dreams. Because, you see, when you begin to activate your dreamer again, all I've always... And so I began to do this. I'm literally giving you my devotion. I began to say, come on, Rachel. Because if someone said to me, dream, I just froze. Is this dream big enough? And then God said, no, just learn to dream. What are those random thoughts? I want to go to Tuscany on holiday. Always dreamt to go to Italy ever since Nicola was nine and think. So that went on my dream thing. Always dreamt that I'd go to Wimbledon for the finals. That went on my thing. Maybe these don't sound very spiritual, but they've been childhood dreams for years. I put all sorts of random ones. You know, within having written down that Wimbledon one, it was like, is that spiritual enough? It was like the Holy Spirit almost smiled. Within 48 hours, a friend of mine phoned me and said, I've got two tickets for the Wimbledon final. We can't do it. Are you into tennis? I said, absolutely. It's been a childhood dream. He said, can I give them to you? I said, absolutely. I'm there. We went. Finals day to Wimbledon. And it was like God just said, out of all the dreams I had, that one just happened. And it was like God just said to me, come on, just dream. Just go big, wide. So I challenge you, get your thing out, do 100. I think I'm up to 84. I still haven't done it. Isn't that sad that it's like I have to cognitively think. I dream. I dreamt of being able to be in Parliament and begin to pray with MPs and turn that atmosphere of the toxic heaven. And I, for one year, we've been in there. And I believe God is doing something phenomenal in our Parliament. So when I feel, hear people just go on about it, something grieves in my mummy heart. I say, no, that's my dream to see it to be the halls of glory, the place that will carry the, the, the government of God and the government of our land. I've got a dream of what Parliament can be in our nation. I've got a dream that we can begin to legislate, that God can look good in Britain again. I've got a dream that we can begin to get under our schools and begin to teach our little children the ways of the Lord and how to love God. I've got a dream. Have you got a dream? It's time that we dream. But this scripture says the path will be in the wilderness. He said, behold, I will do a new thing. Can't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. 
I am forming a path in the wilderness. I just want to say to you, the wilderness is none of your business. It's the way that is your business. Do you understand? Isaiah 40, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, every mountain low, every crooked place, for I am making a way in the... And we get so distracted of the wilderness. The wilderness is not our responsibility. Making the way is our responsibility. Do you understand what I say? If we change that thinking, some of the wrong responsibility will come up and then we can see a way through. My job is to make a Jesus way. My job is not the wilderness. The wilderness is not a problem to God. The problem is finding the workers who will make a way. You know, Isaiah 35, come on, there's going to be a new highway of holiness. You go read the scriptures about the ways. Jesus is the the truth and the life. Come on, our job is about the way. Our job is about the path. Our job is not about the semantics of what is around that way. Our job is to make a landing strip for the glory of God. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. You see, I feel God would say to us, it's time to write it down. To write it down. To write your dreams down. Write your future. Write the next decade. You see, I felt God say, it's so important not to let your perceptions and feelings downsize and alter your spiritual dreams. When we really write it down and we let the passion of our heart come, it can smack you in the face. How many of you know what I'm talking about? These days with our mobile phones, you can just voice record. And sometimes I do that and I love it. You know, dear Siri, she can spell interesting things. But you just talk to it and just let it think. And then you read what the passion of your heart has said. Say, dear Jesus, that's just scared me. But that is the true dreamer within you. Come on, write it down. Let it out. Don't censor it. What is it? Hebrews Hebrews, Habakkuk chapter 2. You know, here's a prophet wrestling with God, saying, God, what are you saying? What's going on in the land? He's looking at his nation. And then the Lord says to this prophet Habakkuk, come on, write my answers down. I haven't got my tablet with me today. But you see, the Bible's well ahead of the game, isn't it? He said, come on, get your tablets, write it down. (laughs) Come on, write it down on your tablet. Don't alter it, don't censor it. Write it down on that tablet so that you can actually run with an unadulterated, uncensored message. For what I'm speaking to you, you don't have to do in 24 hours, but it is a crafting of the future time. And it describes the end and it will be fulfilled. It may seem a bit slow in coming, but learn some patience. It will take place, it won't be delayed, but make it clear and distinct. Come on, the best is yet to come. Define best. Come on, define it. Have courage to define what best really looks like. Not good, okay. Define best. And so the Lord speaks to the prophet and said, come on, write it down. Put it on your tablet. Make it plain. Stop wriggling. Be straight out there. You know, it's most probably one of the things. I get called dangerous in that. But it's what I've learned to begin to do 
And I take that for it, but I came to a place where I began to say, Jesus, I'm going to shut my eyes because I'm a grown-up girl enough, been in church long enough, to, and I can hear the other things say, yes, but Rachel, but Rachel, but Rachel, don't, careful Rachel, don't go there Rachel. But part of me begins to say, actually, I've got to say, come on, can you see? And you've got to let yourself have that luxury. And so he writes it down. And then the prophet talks back to God a chapter later. Habakkuk 3.2. He said, God, I have heard all about you. I'm filled with such awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in the years gone by. And oh God, I know that there's a lot we've done wrong and you could be angry about, but oh God, show us your gracious, merciful, kind, outpouring face. Because God, we need you. We need you. We want you. And so we begin to write it down. Next slide, please. And what I love is then God begins to write it too. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, and this is the covenant, this is what God says, that I'm going to make with you, my precious people. I will put my laws in, in your minds. I will write them on your hearts. I will be your God and you will be your people. The funny thing is, you see, God started off writing in tablets and then he discovered we weren't very good at reading our tablets. So he then said, actually, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to write it right on your heart. And you see, if we sit here at the beginning of the year, however much we try to duck and dive, there are things written in the deep capacity of what we are that defines the best. My best is this, my expectation, my longing. Now write it down. Because actually, you're only writing what God originally wrote in you. And God said to us, and said to me as I was reading this, he said, you need to realize that I have branded every one of you in the, death, in the heart of your being with your purpose. Because he wrote it into your heart. You are branded with the purpose of God. And that's why we do get disappointed. Why? Because we have an original standard written in us. Do, do, do you get what I mean? That's why we do get overwhelmed. That's why we do get stirred up. That's why I am dangerous, because I wake up the dreamers in you. And then we have that wrestle. Dare I dream or will I just set myself up for disappointment? Should I go there? Should I not? And this is where I believe God is saying, come on, do the journey with other people. Gordon, my incredible husband, like I said, we'll be married for 40 years. You might have seen it on the way out and wonder what it is. But Gordon's written a book and he's written our story. And it was so funny, it took six weeks to write it. I had no idea what he was writing. And when I sat and read it, although I know quite, a, I mean, 40 years we've been married, is the usness of our journey. But it's from Gordon's worldview of a God-hater that went to Cambridge that got hijacked by a God that loved him, totally turned his life around and took someone who was fairly arrogant, male chauvinist, determined. You read it. He says it. Not me. 
and then made him a donkey for Jesus to carry the glory of God, city after city after city. And suddenly as I read it, I thought, oh, it's true, but I've forgotten it was me. Some of the challenges, some of the huge mistakes, the graciousness of God that when we do it all wrong, but the integrity of what is written on your heart that still stands beyond all the good, the bad, and the ugly and helps you craft a way to make Jesus look good. The book is out there, you're welcome. I don't know how many are. I think it's eight pounds. I'm never very good at this, but I highly recommend it. Because I believe we need to rehearse some of the God stories of what Jesus has done with ordinary people in England at this time. We can read Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Watchman Nee. We can read a lot of the long stories. I want to say right now, we need to start writing it down. We need to start inspiring each other because God is writing a story and he is looking for partners. He has written his story on your heart. Now he is looking for partners to write history. Come on, 2020 is opportunity. What are we going to write? We'll write it on tablets first, but then let's start writing it on the hearts of men and women all around us because it's time. Just finish with this last scripture. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. And just close your eyes, just listen to it. Now forget all of that 2019. For it is nothing compared to what I'm going to give to you and do for you now. For I am about to do something radically new. See, I have already begun the working of this. Do you not see it? I will make pathways through that wilderness land. And I will create rivers flowing, even in wasteland. And so I want to pray for you. As you just sit, just keep your eyes closed. Just let the dreamer be stirred in you. And if you're here today and you're not sure or you know, that Jesus has never really been a center point of your life. Today's your day. The 12th day of January. Is it the 12th or 11th? It is the 12th, isn't it? Sorry, it's because my son-in-law had his birthday on the 11th and I did it Friday because he lives in Australia and I suddenly was thinking... Am I wrong? Well, 12 is a great number. It's the government and order of God. What a day to set your life under the government and order of God. On the 12th day of the first year of a new decade, make a decision. I need Jesus in my life to set myself up for the best that will come. You're never going to do it alone. You need the help of God. And maybe you've never really let go and said, Jesus, I want you in my life. It's the first time where you jump and say, I've got to let go. I need God. If that's you, wherever you are in the room, I just want you, as everyone's got their eyes closed, put your hand straight up to heaven and say, this is me. I need Jesus in my life. 
And this is first time. And that's you. You know you haven't done it ever before. I want to give you the opportunity. Just put your hand up. You've never done it. But there's a second group of people in the room here. And you know about God. You've let God in your life before. But if you're really honest, as you look at your year in front of you and the year behind you, you push God right to the margins and God isn't in the right place in your life. And you know today, you need to let Jesus back in the center of your life and say sorry for the compromise and say, God, I need you. I want to go forward with the right center of my life. If that's you, I want you to put up your hands up right now and I want to pray for you. Put it right up high to the sky. Thank you all over this room. Put it right up. And as you hold that hand up to heaven, I want you to take hold of your hand of your Father Jesus. And I want us all across this room to pray one prayer together right now in Jesus' name. Say, Father, today, I am sorry for the compromise. But today, I invite you in the center place of my life. I am sorry for the wrong choices I have made but I know I need you I ask for help right now in Jesus name Amen now if you prayed either of those prayers today I'm going to ask you to do something when the service finishes tell someone I put my hand up in that time because I know I need help from God I need to set my life right Break the sound barrier and confess it. Tell someone. Because actually that helps you on your journey. That's the first thing. The second thing is, let people get close to you. Let the church family get close to you. Engage and begin to do a journey. Because the best is yet to come.